Hello and welcome to Campaign Comrades, your favorite leftist gaming podcast. I'm your host, Ben, and joining me on this journey into the game space are my intrepid co-hosts. I'm Mike. I'm Matt. What's up? It's Rick. How's it going, boys? How we how we feeling? It's a new year, new podcast. Oh, I'm excited. Like our president. Fuck. I was going to say, like our president, I'm feeling sleepy. It's going to be a sleepy year. Yeah, a sleepy. I get that. No, nah, man, I'm excited. I got that new year optimism. I'm, I'm ready to roar. 2022, we're going to beat COVID. Let's go. All right. You are, so you, you've already doomed us to failure yeah. within like the, 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 the first 30 seconds of the podcast. Uh, you, <laughs> you just confirmed that I need to buy that razor mask now because that's the future we're heading <laughs> towards and I'm going to be prepared. Thanks, Rick. But yeah, we're, uh, we're excited to start this endeavor. We are glad to, uh, to have any any listeners joining us along the way. Uh, some of you may be asking, you know, what does you know leftist politics and gaming have to do with each other? And it's not a bad question. You know, it's the reason we decided to start this podcast. You know, we're just a bunch of friends uh, from high school who kind of found this shared interest of games reignited. You know, during the times of the pandemic and have decided to, you know, make something, make something of it, make a, a real project of it. But we've decided to kind of focus the show around looking at that question. What does our, our political interests, our goals uh, have to do with the, the games we play? How do they interact? What does one reflect or say about the other? And I think it's a reasonable question to ask because Let's be real. What does a you know historical political project whose primary goal is the establishment of a universal common welfare have to do with the copy of Big Mother Truckers Two? Truck me harder. I just played for five hours. It's the cussy economy, right? We got, we got, we got to stay on top of these things, and that's what we're here we're here to do is we're giving you the late breaking numbers on things like that. And we are so glad to have you here, dear sweet listener asking these oh so important questions and we have some uh you know we, we are striving to give you those answers and we uh in starting this show kind of recognize and have come together with this kind of mission statement if you will and we uh we here at campaign comrades you know we see games of all sorts like any other medium of popular culture uh, these games that we engage with, they reflect the collective psyche of our society at any given time. They can reveal our desires, our fears, what drives us and compels us to either like work together or against one another. Uh, as leftists interested in understanding the contradicting structures of exploitation that define our world, you know, these games uh, and the people who made them, and more importantly, the people who consume them, uh, they can aid in our kind of critique of these structures, seeing uh, how people are engaging with certain mediums, what they say about the, the society at any given point in time. At the very least, I think games can ignite our imagination. There's nothing quite like stepping into a new world that games can provide, uh, even like new realities that can open our eyes to, you know, the, the shortcomings and the iniquities of our own kind of sad reality at times however i gotta say with all this these answers are not exhaustive and are just kind of picking away at the uh, at the iceberg of, of what we hope to kind of 
look at as the ongoing project of the podcast. For those of you who are still listening and thinking to yourselves, games should be apolitical. First, I'm going to say, like, you know, what are you still doing here? Yeah. Uh, second, out. I, yeah, just say, you know, fuck you. That's dumb. <laughs> it's stupid. That's like a, a baby brain look of the world. Because let's be honest, all pop culture, you know, it's a product, product of reaction to the very specific material conditions of history. You know, the conditions that are actively shaped by the dominant political economy, which is to say capitalism, folks. Uh, we've solved it. <laughs> we've solved it right now, yes. right here. So do we even need to go any further? But I, I'm sorry to have to be the one to tell you, uh, break the news. The truth is your favorite game. It's been political this whole time. But for those of you who are willing to go forward with us, do not despair. In Steps campaign comrades to bring you an explicitly leftist analysis of gaming, both as a cultural product as well as a corporatized industry. Join us as we unpack the various ways we as a society choose to play with one another. Our regular episodes will consist of a roundup and analysis of the latest news and topics of conversation regarding the most current games. We will also be uh, releasing special episodes probably once every month, starting off where we dive deeper into a particular area of interest to us and our listeners. If things go well, we hopefully. Uh, We'll be able to provide even more exciting content through platforms like a Patreon campaign where we can, you know, interact directly with listeners to see what they want to hear. But now that we know a little bit more about what the show's about, I think we should spend some time introducing ourselves to the audience so they can get to know who we are, what we do, and what we think being a real gamer is all about. So first off, Mike, what are some of your earliest gaming moments, your earliest gaming memories? So my uh, earliest gaming moments came on a lime green Game Boy Color that, you know, one of the bundle packs with Pokemon Crystal, which I will say it here and stand by it. Best Pokemon game ever made. And bold, bold. Yeah, very bold. But no, I think I think there's some there will be some that agree with me. But yeah, I mean, I uh, I started off with that and a, uh, a GameCube, which I got shortly after. Those Nintendo colors of the early 2000s, late 90s were fantastic. I had the purple GameCube, the lime green uh, Game Boy Color. And, you know, like between those two, you know, you had this to me, at least I had this experience where I I could like live these two worlds of, you know, escapism into my, you know, handheld console of, you know, just playing by myself locked in my room and you know share with friends or even play with my sister on the gamecube so uh you know to me i have like these early memories of being able to kind of uh escape but also play with others uh through the the medium of of games so you've been a nintendo good boy since uh since the beginning right uh yeah i mean uh, and i think you know everyone starts on those baby games so fair enough uh matt i got one for you what was your peak gaming experience you know that high that you've been chasing ever since that's a tough one i mean there, there's probably two i could look at you know at like different points in my life different peaks i could look at finally a uh, defeating sephiroth in kingdom hearts the first one when he was the secret boss in the 
the Coliseum. Like that that moment right there really like captured that feeling for me. Kingdom Hearts gave me nightmares as a kid. Fair. I mean, understandable. But like that feeling is something that I looked at look to now when I play like a Souls game. It's like the same thing I'm chasing when I'm doing those same boss fights and those difficult battles. I'm trying to overcome that feeling. It's probably the first time I beat Dark Souls was the first time that feeling really came back was, you know, defeating Gwyn. You know, something I can, you know, now walk into with no issue because I've beaten the game so many times. But like that first time you really capture that imagination, that like feeling of overcoming a great challenge, something that doesn't want you to beat it, you know? I like to have the, those bragging rights with, uh, with those from software games to- should get them all uh, tattooed on my arm like a brand well and I, I think that's something interesting about the four of us is you know matt has these uh these bragging rights to from software that i think none of us uh you know have the skills to to say that you know we could even beat a from software game so i, I, I would think- disagree but I'm I'm prepared to waste sixty dollars on Elden Ring, play it like two times, and probably just get so frustrated, never play it again. Exactly, but I, I would argue that all of you could beat them if I like helped you find the initial oh, parts right. of a route to, for a build for you, and then you can sure. push through. I guess my point is to the listener: we have a uh, you know between the four of us, I think we have a a wide variety of. Uh, of different gaming experience and and even just gaming interests um, that you know we'll be covering throughout our our tenure as podcasters. Right, and kind of on board with that, Rick. What kind of games do you play, and why do you play them? All right, yeah. So for me, you know my my kind of games I play. I look to satisfy my competitive nature get to dominate my fellow man, escape reality. That's really kind of how I always have enjoyed gaming, whether it was battling Pokemon gym leaders for those sweet badges, giving quarterbacks concussions and in Madden with the always fantastic hit stick, or, you know, just getting to uh, stomp some Goombas as I get to pretend I'm a greasy simp plumber. Uh, Being a gamer since the gateway Windows 95 reader rabbit games, you know, I've, I've kind of run the gamut, but generally focus on sporting games, third person, action adventure, RPGs, first person shooters. Um, those are really where I like to focus my time, because like I said, I get to pretend I'm, uh, I'm you know, either a freak athlete who dominates their, uh, their, their competition or, you know, just shoot some people and, and release some steam that way. So that's kind of my gaming experience up to now. We'll say fantasy, right? Yeah. Folks at home, I'm quoting fantasy. Yeah, fantasy. In the game. Fantasy play. In the game. But you, you, you spoke on some truth there, man. Those Reader Rabbit games, they were fucking fire. Absolutely. I think that was like how I learned to read, more or less. Did anyone play Oregon Trail here? Or was that too, uh, too didn't old Didn't we all like have to play it in school? I didn't play it in school. Yeah. I, I did. I, I didn't. I Computer yeah, class. I definitely... Yeah, it was like definitely played in computer. It, it was like sanctioned. It was sanctioned. It, like it I went to a different elementary literacy. Yeah, I, wasn't it more of like a wasn't it like modified slightly to include like typing and stuff so that you could yes yes like practice yes, your yes. typing more. I see. I yeah, did. It was Carmen all about San computer Diego. literacy. No, I never no never did Carmen San Diego. It was aware in the world is Carmen San Diego. Freddy the fish putt putt. 
there's this one there was this one educational game that i played the shit of back in the day i like tried finding the the title for it um but like i don't know just was i couldn't tell if i was just hallucinating it um and like just the the keywords i was putting in just were getting nothing back but it was like this this kind of platformer type game where you would go around you know fighting these kind of enemies but collecting these components these building components and you would build uh race cars out of it and you would race the villain at the end and it was all about like teaching you like aerodynamics and all i mean very basic concepts but you know say like that the the fiberglass body is better than the the metal body it's lighter it has less drag like this is and it, it would depending on the car you would build like the components you you could get you would could make a better car and you would race the bad guy and it would determine if you won by you know what you were able to find and i fucking loved that game and i i just it's lost time for me i'm jealous that sounds like an awesome game i never i never played that one but see i for my my early gaming it was that and then playing doom on my like sitting on my dad's lap while we played on his absolutely enormous old work pc that thing was fucking gigantic <laughs> like we had this like we had this really long like it, it was supposed to be a dining room table but in like the house we had growing up the room it kind of had to go and it was mainly just like a really long desk and it just had all sorts of stuff on it and it, i this computer must have taken up like uh, a fucking third of this of this 15 or so long table like probably even more it's like a piece like, of just, masonry you know like a slab yeah, of yeah. concrete yeah it was freaking crazy but yeah so my it was definitely my mom's influence moved me away from doom and into those kind of games and uh, but then it was like also like the the damage had been done and like i didn't really get to play video games a whole lot as a kid growing up i missed out on all the you know the major nintendo series of the of the, of our day um and you know but really kind of got back into it in uh, middle school and high school high school really dude i was i was in the same boat with the nintendo i was i wasn't my mom and dad were they weren't it wasn't the violence it was the uh it's going to melt your brain for them so yeah. so yeah. they uh they were like no no nintendo for you so i was a fiend for super mario when i was like five to seven and just was like if you had a nintendo chances are we were friends because you had a nintendo and i got to play your super mario yeah, and that kind of gets at the core thing of my gaming history. It's like for a, the longest time, it was really only casual kind of because of that. But it still has, as I think about it, has a foundational place in pretty much almost every major friendship I had, uh, both growing up in high school and then in college. Like it was never like something super serious, but like we can count like or we could not count the number of times, you know, just like the, the nights we would stay up the uh just like all night playing you know call of duty zombies like when the first one came out and just like how how kind of you know central that was to just our experience growing up and it's just a you know a way to to do things together communally well the uh the video game console became like the new hearth you know where people like gather around to socialize how are you pronouncing this shit it's 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 hearth dude hearth 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 it's hearth listen i may not be ell but i yeah, might that, as that, well that's be. gonna that's gonna be a common theme on this on yeah. this podcast is, is what this can mike, mike actually butchering 
the pronunciation hey, of listen, simple right, Mike, words. I'm going to pitch you an app idea, an app that you type the word into and it tells you the proper way to pronounce it. No, it's my, my brain is hardwired from like Italian American, you know, third generation <laughs> immigrants who have just been speaking improperly for years. Um, so, you know, that's my socialization and uh, everything will be pronounced wrong. We're lucky I could pronounce my own name. We got a Fredo in the group, folks. Oh, so one thing I wanted to add to like the, um, you know, they're going to video games are going to melt your brain or, you know, the, the violence in them. I mean, the reason that I played so little games growing up and like, you know, a lot of my friendships were also around like who had the PlayStation and like who had, you know, had a lot of games for it was like just the money to access the games. So like when I was growing up, like I got a GameCube, it came with a game. My parents were like, you're going to play that fucking game until like, until this thing fucking breaks. Yeah, exactly. And like I would get one game a year and I would usually get it for my handheld because I wanted the new Pokemon game. And, you know, so like my gaming in that sense at a young age was, you know, limited by, you know, monetary uh, confinements or, you know, whatever was in the bargain bin. Uh, that I could find for like five bucks and then play the shit out of that game. I think that's how I like first started my my uh, love affair with the Ratchet and Clank series is when my mom finally caved and let me get a, a PS2. It was well after like you know the first one had come out, but uh, that's you know you know a bar a, a bargain bin you know showed me the light. <laughs> well, it's interesting you bring up that uh, idea of video games kind of like the hearth that you know people bond around because that like when i think back to my neighborhood as a kid you know every household had a different console and that was kind of where you'd go to congregate you know different game you know, i had the nintendo 64 so we played smash bros you know come over and play uh, ocarina of time you know star fox 64 you know the ogs but then you go across the street to john's house and he's got the snes and he's got the playstation one you know so you're going over there you're playing metal gear, metal gear solid you go up around the corner and Keith's got the the Dreamcast. You know, you're playing Sonic. He, you're getting the trifecta there. And there's a lot of that, um, you know, not every, you didn't have every console in your house, but you got to share it with your community around you. And that was a lot of, you know, growing up in the summer. You know, you could find us at anyone's house at any given moment, just chilling, watching, chilling, playing. Yeah. And like you literally bounce around. I think a lot of the modern uh, online multiplayer stuff doesn't really capture that same feeling especially for me, at least, to like sitting on the couch with friends playing, you know, couch co-op or something like that. Still, it's been that element of games that uh, has really kind of recaptured me, particularly since the, the pandemic has struck in. We've kind of like touched on it already. But like for me personally, you know, the way the kind of my personal timeline kind of worked out is like I had... Basically, I had graduated from my, I had done my graduate studies in theology. Guess how well that has served me, folks. Um, you know, I, I did that. Like, I, it left me kind of feeling creatively drained and the, you know, sick and tired of the academy and, you know, what it's able to do for real people. And I mean, I, I'm still so thankful for my education. It like introduced me to things like leftist theory, which, you know, allowed me to, you know, articulate uh, frustrations that I've that I'd had and was never able to, you know, kind of put into words before. But it left me in this place where I was just, you know, feeling really kind of shitty and just kind of down and out on the world as it is, just kind of, you know, doomer pilled, as the kids say. And uh, that only was heightened by, you know, the the onset of the pandemic. 
not too long after. And that just, you know, the, the, fur, the further sense of alienation that really kind of crept in. But I've got to say, it's been my rediscovery of, of games, both from things like pen and paper role-playing games to the, the daunting arena of PC gaming that has, you know, kind of reignited my, at least my creative drive and my, you know, passion for engaging in uh, these kind of flawed worlds that, that kind of reflect our own. And I don't know it's given me something to you know create memories and build relationships and maintain relationships with you guys and that has meant a lot uh, over these times and so it kind of goes in and speaks to again what this the overarching idea of this podcast has become is uh, as leftists as uh, people engaged in, in a wanting to see a, a better future uh, where all people are you know empowered to to see fulfillment in ways that are meaningful to them. Uh, you know, this is a way that we can do that together, and I'm excited to see where where this leads us. Anything else you think that the uh, the audience should know about you and your your unique perspectives and what you kind of hope to bring to or hope to get out of this this project as well? Yeah, I think aligned with what Ben had pointed out, I think video games and gaming in general have just been a way you know to a way bring about like a community. Um, bring about people with like-minded ideas that you could um, you know share community with and part of that like that I want to bring out uh, with my background you know which I I was a educator um, prior and now I'm, I'm finishing up my law degree the community within the 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 people that are creating those games um, so we're going to focus you know hopefully a lot here on the labor practices and you know the labor that goes into um, these video games and how we as leftists can support those endeavors of the the labor activists within video games within tabletop games kind of support the whole or, or even model um, a labor movement for you know labor as a whole uh, so I think you know with my background that's something I would like to focus on um, and kind of inform our listener. Uh, what what's going on in that area of gaming all right well i'm ex- i'm excited to to jump into this we've got uh some exciting things planned going forward uh i think that's you know probably a you know we've 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 done our our due diligence introducing both the show and ourselves to the audience and uh we've we kind of touched on a little bit what we expect normal episodes to look like and to that note, we will kind of jump into uh, hopefully uh, what will be our kind of our main uh, biweekly episodes, you know, kind of current events touching on, uh, you know, what's uh, late and great in the in the gaming industry and, uh, you know, what what uh, is worthy of, uh, you know, attention to interested leftists. But normally we will we will probably start the show with a segment we are excited to call uh, heated gaming moments. Where we will be just you know kind of kicking off the show, uh, talking about what what's uh, what's been going on in each of our own you know kind of gaming lives. What what we've been playing. What's been getting us uh, you know what's been getting us heated, as it's as uh, the title suggests. Um, but seeing that it's a new year, new podcast, we are going to mix things up for the first episode. Rather than necessarily what we've been playing recently, we're gonna do uh, do a little do things a little bit different. We're gonna we're gonna do what were everybody's top three plays from 2021. 
and then followed up with uh, what's got you most hot and bothered for this upcoming year for 2022. Mike, I think you're, you're going to kick us off. What were your top, top three plays? So I ended up playing a lot of older games in 2021. So I really only have two top uh, plays from 2021 itself. Um, Unprofessional. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> Hey, I was catching up. I was adding all the the older games that I played on uh, Rick's PS4 the past like few years, getting them on my own PC and just like getting to where I was, you know, where I left off on those games. Um, hey, man, I'm just bust, I'm just busting balls. You're like, it's literally my exact same story. As well. <laughs> we'll get so uh, I I played a lot of Forza Five, and I was I had a lot of fun with that game. You know, the racing. I've played like all of those arcade Forza games. Um, I'm sorry, Forza Horizon 5. Uh, specify Forza Horizon 5. I played a lot of the, the arcade uh, Forza games in that series. And this one was just a lot of fun. It was the graphics were incredible. It was, you know, smooth gameplay, smooth racing. And then my other one is, you know, an obvious one for me. The uh, Nintendo good boy of, you know, Brilliant Diamond came out. Uh, in November and I've been playing that and was just excited to get, you know, that little tingle of nostalgia from, you know, the probably like 600 hours of the original Pokemon diamond I put in to my original DS. Uh, so just like bringing back those memories of high school, Mike locked in his room, just, you know, breeding Pokemon, catching Pokemon. What do you say to the critiques though, of the remakes? I think people should just like, shut the fuck up (laughs) play the fucking game like come on it's 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 a baby game it's made for babies like you know it's another access point for people to get into the game you know it's all about making money for them like you want you the the whole argument against the graphics is just so silly it's so silly look, look at the original game and look at this one it's basically the same graphics just like popped out a little bit and like, calm down and like that's all you know all people wanted for years and then we finally got it and you know yeah that's a good segue for the game i'm looking forward to in 2022 is pokemon uh arceus legends which is like kind of the gameplay that people or at least the graphics people were looking for in brilliant diamond uh that they didn't get but like I said, the brilliant diamond like is what it is, and Arceus is the new game, which I'm incredibly excited to play. And what, like a few, maybe two weeks comes out um, soon. Yeah. yeah, very soon. And then, so my my other hot and bothered for this year, for this upcoming year, is uh, and I am hot for it, and also bothered in multiple senses of the word. Uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! Master Duel is coming out. <laughs> in february i believe it's supposed to release so you know basically a, a, a magic the gather gathering arena clone where you can't move any of the digital cards that you own in Yu-Gi-Oh! duel links uh over to the new game so you know there goes all the the money i spent there in that game just bye-bye um they me me the arena evangelist. Uh, don't think you're gonna you're gonna catch me with the uh, with the dual links. Hey, Never they they are making it like arena where you could like you know you don't have to pay to get cards like you get them rewarded in the game. So like they did take that critique from dual links, which is one of the like 
the worst things about Duel Links. You had, it, had, it was Konami just heard what you said, and they were just like NFTs. That's what we must <laughs> do, and they're going to turn I mean, everything into an NFT. I've been waiting for it. Ben sent a link in uh, in our group chat, and all I saw was Konami and NFTs, and I went no. <laughs> <laughs> You know, luckily now you was... can only own one copy of the digital card and no one else can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'd be like the dual monsters show, you know, but you know, luckily the Konami NFTs is only Castlevania. So it is coming for Yu-Gi-Oh, but I definitely have, you know, some years before, hopefully, or at least months, months. <laughs> I'll do my uh, heated gaping moments. If you're done with yours, Mike. Uh, you could go ahead. All right. I'm looking at last year releases, my top three, no particular order. Don't want to, you know, pick favorites with my favorite children. Uh, Returnal, number one. Ratchet and Clank, Rift Apart. Uh, really enjoyed that. Takes the, the uh, reboot series from 2016 and gives it a good sequel. Fun, fun little romp around the galaxy. And I'm going to round it out with another space adventure and a surprise for me, actually. This one caught me off guard. Guardians of the Galaxy was a game that I had God, I no expectations that. for yeah, when I saw it that. originally announced because all I had in my mind was Square Enix, Marvel, Marvel Avengers. Avengers. They're going to do it again. Yeah. But they, they apparently learned a lesson. I mean, they released a single-player story game with no microtransactions. Just play the game. I thought they were literally going to just take Marvel Avengers and make it in outer space and just, like, reskin that game and make it guardians of the galaxy and i was pleasantly surprised so i I would throw that in one of my top three plays from last year as well i I forgot i played that you're you're welcome yeah thank you it's on my list it's on my list i need to catch up though that's that's a fun one yeah i wanted to play it and then just the i i wanted to to control like drax and and the fact that they're just buttons that turned me away from it initially but hearing it on your top three i think i'll give that a second look I mean, it's, it's like Mass Effect in the Marvel Universe. Okay. And it's not connected to the cinematic universe, so you don't have any of that. It's its own self-isolated story. Yeah, pretty good. As far as games coming up this year, I'll give two to start that have bona fide release dates. I'm kind of upset about the release dates. So we got Horizon Forbidden West, followed by Elden Ring a week later. They're going to make me pick a favorite child, and I hate yeah, that. Wh- yeah, what are you going to do, Matt? Are you going to go to work at all that week? <laughs> I'm actually thinking about taking, like, a four- or five-day weekend on the Elden Ring launch and just fucking no-lifing the game for, like, five days. And, like, you could check on me. You can, like, poke in and be like, are you alive? Yeah, yeah we're going to have to do wellness <laughs> checks on Matt. You should do that, though. Send a care package. Do a drive-by check to see if the Mountain Dew bottles are pa- piling up outside. <laughs> yeah. Man, died of lead poisoning with, yeah. with a slightly, di- a slightly different yellow liquid. Yeah. Man, man drowns in his own piss after Mountain Dew bottle caps fail. <laughs> yeah, Elden Ring Horizon Forbidden West. That's going to be a really tough. Like, that's actually part of giving me an issue right now. Is like I don't want to commit to a long game knowing they're coming in about a month and a half, and that I need to be like prepared and ready for this i gotta be you know like get myself ready uh third game it's not confirmed we don't have a confirmed release date yet but a uh, god of war ragnarok the the sequel to the original you know 2018 god of war reboot that we got that's what i'm give me more let me be daddy let me teach boy <laughs> <laughs> boy boy, boy. 
Yeah. Matt, Matt is just reaching his final form. Boy. Dude, I'm with you on, on God of War. For me, uh, top three plays from last year. I got to say, I really liked Deathloop. I don't know. I know I know. Uh, Matt played that. I don't think anyone else did. But I really enjoyed the mechanics uh, and how it kind of told the story for a first-person shooter game. You know, it got you a little more. Yeah, fun characters. Yeah, the characters were fun. And um, the, the fact that it kind of turns the uh, what is really a cl- pretty classic first-person shooter into also kind of this mystery treasure hunt type with the clues. I, I, I found that to be a compelling uh, mechanic of, of the story and, and kept me interested. Just all the dishonored powers. Yeah, that too. Smashed on top of you. Yeah. Like the, the amount of fun you can have in that game. That's, that's a really yeah, fun game. So I, I really enjoyed that one. Uh, my second, and this is in no particular order, uh, is 12 minutes, which I don't think anyone else played here, but that was a, uh, came out, it's another loop yeah, game. Yeah, it is actually another loop game. Uh came out back in September, no, August of 2021. And you essentially You think we could call 2021 the year of the loop? Because I mean you had Returnal, Death Loop, 12 yeah. minutes. Uh, we're starting to see a starting to see a looping pattern here, there, guys. There's I mean it was a just a loop of 2020. <laughs> so mm-hmm. no, it was a it repeat. Was a repeat. Yeah. No, there's a there's no there and there's another one. Yeah, there is some a, reason I'm blanking on it. it that ha, it Forgotten also City. has loop. It has also has loop in yeah, the title. Yeah, I'm forgetting. Forgotten loop? City is also is it, a loop. Is it like Loop Hero? Is that is that something? Is that what it is? that sounds like a game. It's probably something. No, it's Loop something. Loop a fiasco. Loop a fiasco. No, Loop Hero. Loop hero. That, that was right. Yeah, no, the it was the it was a repeat year and year of the loop. So those were both a fun game. Twelve minutes is really uh, a, just a completely different game than I've generally play. It's it's essentially point and click, and uh, you like essentially figure out why you're in this time loop as a you know man and his wife uh, who get assaulted by this cop who's voiced by Willem Dafoe. Daisy Ridley voices the the wife and um james mcavoy voices the protagonist uh it was it was a well done game fun fun till the end so i enjoyed that one and then isn't it isn't it really that that game in a weird way reminds me of uh i think it's called like escape from the oberdin or like memory of the oberdin like the the art style and everything are completely different but like the the type of gameplay loop that you're going for kind of remind me in the same way. That's a fun little uh, mystery black and white game. I have, I have to check that one out because I did enjoy this. And yes, Ben, super fucked up, super yeah. fucked up. The ending, the ending. I I played it with uh, with my partner, and her and I both like we finished the game together, and we both just looked at each other and were like, "That's what this was about." What? <laughs> Um, so no spoilers but yeah super fucked up are you telling me that it's more depth to the ending than untitled goose game (laughs) i don't think depth is really what what we're after it's it's fucked fucked up that's for sure and then lastly you know as i said earlier i love to pretend i'm a big athlete you know in that top elite percentage of the humans on earth so 2k21 rounds out my list uh just getting able to dunk a basketball in the virtual world can't beat it I mean, that will always be on your list. It really like, will be. No matter the year, no matter how shitty the game is, what tiny tweak they made. Yep, you can... Just wait until they release it in VR and we can strap you into, like, a, a feeding pod and just leave you <laughs> in the universe forever. 
sign me up. Um, and then, you know, this, this coming year, I'm, I'm excited for tiny Tina's wonderlands. That's one that we've not yet mentioned. I'm a fan. Big, big shout out. Yeah, I'm a fan of the borderlands universe that has Adam Sandberg, Will Arnett and Wanda Sykes in it. So I'm excited for that. Some, some good voice acting there. I think it should be fun. It's also, you know, one of the games that still does the classic couch co-op, which, uh, I hate that that has kind of disappeared from gaming. It's a dying breed. It really is. So I'm excited for that one. Uh, and then shout out to Starfield. Uh, Skyrim absorbed my life for the first three months of COVID back in 2020. And I am excited for what seems like a potential version of Skyrim in space. Yeah, I kept Starfield off my list because I just don't believe it's releasing next year. I'm, like every ounce of my body has no faith in that release date. I, I, I'm kind of with you, but I just like every time <laughs> I, I hear about it, I get excited. So I, I had to include it on my list. Like to to be fair, I also don't expect Horizon Forbidden West or Elden Ring to also release on time. Like I keep waiting to get like two weeks away and then be like, we're delaying it by a month. That might uh, work out for we're you. We're not though. crunching, guys. Please. Yeah. Alrighty, falls to me then. Um, as I kind of already mentioned, I also fell into the the category of not playing that many uh, releases from 2021. I played a lot of older games, catching up on things I had I had missed out on. Um, you know, thank God for the Steam sale. Great but Steam sale. I, I think when I when I went back and looked, I think I really only played uh actually two video games from twenty twenty one. And uh so I guess I'll just I'll just jump into it. Probably my top play um of actual releases is gotta be Ratchet and Clank. I was lucky enough to get a PS5 uh at the tail end of the year and was podcast able, is filled with ps5s uh yeah say socialism is when no ps5 we we're again already canceled before <laughs> hey, out of the gate. i'm the only true socialist <laughs> here then uh but i mean i i enjoyed it a lot there was beautiful game level design was cool and interesting it brought back a lot of like the great uh you know mechanics from old i think one of my comments we were talking about this off off camera a while back uh about the the 2016 ratchet and clank remake it's like one of my pet peeves is they didn't bring enough of the boots back they only had like grind boots in 2016 you had a lot more uh of those kind of gadgets returning uh to this one which was cool you had some some new additions the only and I think Rick, you'll you'll be sad to hear this. The only uh, thing I was disappointed with was the uh, the buzz blades. No, doom blades. The buzz blades were uh, nerfed they, a bit. They felt a little, yeah, they felt a little weak to me. They felt like they were they underperformed, and that was always the goat to me. That was always my favorite. Dude, I mean, I never I never felt like if I unloaded a whole clip of doom blades into somebody that I was like upset with the amount of damage but it definitely yeah. wasn't the, as it, it just, was it didn't feel as viscerally satisfying as it used to like yeah i got the job done but like when it came down to it, it was basically i was just using the executor all all day oh yeah you know that by far became like the number one use i've been i just started playing it as i recently got a ps5 as well and i'm not yet to having the buzz blades but that's uh that's disappointing to hear yeah it comes did did you upgrade to the digital deluxe edition to get the armor and the weapons early? No. no Good. Fuck, fuck that shit. <laughs> I hate that. Good. Fuck Solidarity. That, fuck, yeah, fuck that pay-to-play shit. 
Um, but then the only the best part action- is because you can get it for free. Like, there's literally no reason to pay for that. Right. The only other actual 2021 release I played was Metroid Dread, which was definitely a heated game for me. You know, say so that one definitely got me hot. That one was like I I thought it was designed beautifully, gorgeous. The mechanics were excellent. They felt like it's a tough game. It was like intuitive, but like there was challenge to it, and like you felt like you had to push it in order to do these things. But then I would just get stuck in these fucking death loops that like if we like hadn't like recorded an episode on and be on the lookout for that coming in the future, folks. Um, I probably would have put it down much further than than when I actually did. And where it stands, I still haven't finished it yet. No, but you're, I can you're st- actually fairly close. Right. I know I am. And, and that's why like I did kind of put it down. But like I can, you know, say like in uh it was like, you know, an impressive uh engineering accomplishment. I appreciate yeah. its design. That was a fun one for me. I just didn't put that into my top because it was overall a shortish experience experience for me. Yeah, it was, I wouldn't necessarily say like it was, you know, say a, a top gaming experience for me, but it was a good game. Yeah. I can't, can't deny that it was, that it was good. The quality was, was top. It won much. something at the game awards, right? Yes. I think I forget. I forget what, um, but then uh, what coming out of left field a little bit, my real top play of uh, 2021 was the latest release from games workshop kill team 2021, a refreshing a bit of uh, tabletop wargaming for for me. It was my first experience with something like uh, alternating activation, which coming from just playing 40k was a huge thing. I I mean, I admittedly I need to expand out and play some other non games workshop games, and I've got I've got some new rule sets uh, in house that I'm that I'm gonna tamper with, gonna gonna play play around with. But I gotta say, like I've enjoyed Kill Team every time I played it. It's gotten some heat from some of the the uh, more cantankerous uh, side of the of the hobby. You'll um, never please them, though. They're never I gotta happy. Say, I gotta say, even for those like haters, I've even played some of the compendium rules, and yeah, maybe they're a little bland, a little boring, but like they still get the job done. They're still like Space Marines are still fun as hell. They kill a lot of shit. I still I don't think that the compendium book should have cost fifty dollars. I think it should have been made free online. And uh, <clears throat> in the game, I um, I, I I may have uh, stumbled upon. Definitely didn't go out and search for this. So it just kind of fell into my lap. Uh, Amazing how that happens, isn't it? Yeah, just like uh, I just like you know would sit in there one day thinking like, boy, I wish I could get those those compendium rules and high resolution scans and. Uh, you know, what do you know? Like some, one just magically appeared. An, an angel came down from the heavens. Yeah, and I will not tell you how to do that, but you totally should go. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, 50 bucks for that was a fucking bullshit. Uh, just basically, it was a stopover gap to get all the other armies that weren't featured in the first release box up to snuff for the first rules. They used to do that for old editions when they would be a significant change in other games and they would like release them again for free. No book just... for anything should be over $20, period. Agreed. All right, so let, let's let's just wrap things up quick with what's on my list of most anticipated. I, I've There were a few that maybe uh, been covered already, but I am likewise looking forward to God of War Ragnarok. Um, yeah, no official word when that is. I think most of the games that are on my list have no official release date yet so that's 
that's again the what kind of needs to be said about uh you know looking forward to 2022 with these games is most likely half of them are we're not going to see and anytime soon but except the two that mike picked you say god of war ragnarok is 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 definitely on on that list though starfield is too but then that one you know is for that one what that one says november but there's yeah. no way no there's way no all. way if it's that close to the end of the year there's yeah. no way it's it's making it in 2022 so that one would have been on my list but for uh but for that um so the other two i have are uh forespoken coming from square enix in Solid the summer Jones. man the 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 spells the and like the the kinetic movement uh just seem really fucking cool like in the heavy this, zoomer energy in the the yeah dialogue yeah yeah that that i'm i'm going to mock endlessly but like the actual movement of the gameplay is what really has got me has got me going like the some of yeah the dialogue is is very funny oh, no, I'll, and, I'll be right there with you playing don't worry we can mock together but then the last one that i'm actually really excited for is um from uh, bethesda is redfall the uh the co-op for fps uh like the vampire the, the vamp yeah the vampire shooter game yeah. where you've got like uh you know your, your different character archetypes and there's like some spell stuff and it's it's uh it's not your not your average fps thing and it's we'll, we'll not get a, some it's, campaign comrades multiplayer action going yeah it's it's not a it's not a battle royale game so i'll be more likely exactly. to actually play it you know, I'm. I may. The only thing that may get me to jump into Battle Royale is the the Vampire the Masquerade game that's coming out, where you're just like these different class of vampires. But again, it's a Battle Royale game, and I'm just so bad at the, at that kind of shit that I feel like I just won't do that. Yeah, I'm. I'm not a Battle Royale fan. I think it's interesting though. I we all kind of at least three, two of us, and I agree with you both that the. Uh, I don't know. I I didn't play all that many new games this year. And I think overall, this was kind of a a more subdued year in terms of what was ended, what ended up actually being released. But I don't know, 2022. If you, if, if you, if you watch like game journalists, uh, you wouldn't know that so many art, so many articles was like, Oh, 2021 was like a legendary year in gaming historic even. It was a very average year. A lot of games got pushed. Pandemic, yeah. pandemic. Yeah. Did Cyberpunk come out in 20? No, that was 2020. No, it came out no. last, technically December yeah. Yeah. Of, 20. Tw- of 2020. What, what a great way to end 2020, yeah. by the way. Just like mm. the, the final kiss. Hey, man, they're still making that game. Still. Yeah, it's crazy. Literally still. They just updated it. With like, Every, everyone bought it on Steam sale for 30 bucks and it like skyrocketed the ratings. And they were like, oh, my God, people love our game now. I'm like, no, please fix the game. <laughs> You're not off the hook. I don't think you can get away with that. But in so in line with like uh, us looking back at our own year in gaming, uh, I think it's safe to say that uh, 2021 was, you know, a pretty rough year for all of those employed in the industry. So, you know, as we're moving into our, our next main segment, our system update, um i've got a I've, say I've got a question for you for you mike um hit me you know we've we've you know say so 2021 was yeah this this shitty year we had almost every major game studio being accused of or like even facing legal action 
for near universal complaints of unsafe and toxic working conditions, lack of overtime pay, outrageous hours, like you name it, you'll find reports of uh, office cultures rampant with sexual harassment, homophobia, racism. You know, if you can think of something bad to do to employees, odds are that a major game studio has done it and did it in 2021 and like, uh, you know, made news about it. But in the spirit of looking forward to this new year, uh, Mike, uh, after all these, you know, horrible stories, why are you so optimistic about the state of labor and gaming? So like I had read a, a Wired article that I think the like thesis of it stated it pretty well. It gave some uh, good terminology to kind of capture, I think, this phenomenon that's going on not only in labor and gaming, but kind of labor uh, labor movements as a whole throughout 2021. And, you know, typically people think that others will kind of take action when they're experiencing suffering and like suffering is the catalyst to uh, bring someone to to action. Uh, and, and this article is kind of proposing that it's not the suffering, uh, in fact, that does that, but the hope of, of getting out of the situation. So you know, you still are recognizing that there is suffering, but it's the idea of hope that there's um, greener pastures, per se. So I, I think this idea of hope is a good way of capturing what has been going on in that throughout all of labor in 2021, we've seen a rise in actual union organizing, strikes, uh, smaller labor groups, being formed and you know a lot of that is seeing what could be done with the labor movements and what success uh that they've had uh and i so i think that this hope is kind of a good way to describe the climate in general of like what people are you know looking at their peers in the in various industries that are you know organizing around uh, the idea that their labor is worth more than what they're being paid. So like, where, where do you think that, uh, you know, we should be looking for these signs of improvement? We've seen companies you know, fight strongly against, say, settlements like the recent uh, one Riot Games just reached for $100 million. You know, they initially tried to, to cap it at $10 million. Um, should we take settlements like that as you know, inspiring? Is that is that a sign of forward progress? Is that where we should be looking? Or is there, uh, where should the focus be going on, on making sure that that these workplaces are changing at a, you know, from a from the really the top down? So I think looking at the settlements kind of gives a sense of false hope, because they're essentially like, end up being PR battles. and and ways for corporations to gain good PR by saying that they're doing something and without legally admitting guilt, it's a a way for them to throw a small sum of money at the problem to buy them some time and goodwill within the media and the public while still continuing, you know, most or almost all of the, you know, terrible workplace practices that they've been doing for years under the radar. This provides them a small bit of cover. So what I think you really need to look at is the actual labor groups um, that are are boiling up throughout all of these uh, these corporations. And 
and I think, you know, it's going to be a while before some of the bigger, you know, Activision or even Riot Games has an actual union. Um, but though they will have strong kind of like labor groups that are working with unions um, that will provide some of at least the um, reactive benefits, not so much like the proactive, you know, negotiating contract type benefits. But I think in some of the smaller gaming industries, you know, in 2021, we had an example of uh, Paizo. It was a tabletop, but, you know, a small tabletop company. And then uh, Vadio, Vadio, Video? Vodio. Vodio, probably. You know, God, I'm never going to be able to pronounce anything. Uh, You know, they're they're a very small indie uh, video game developer where management was like, yeah, this is going to uh, help us out. So, you know, we're not even going to fight the union. So we're going to continue to see like big strides in, I think, smaller corporations or like smaller corners of the gaming industries writ large. Um, but in these big corporations, they're going to continue to, you know, pull these settlements, fight for these settlements, which provide them, you know, media cover, but also some employee cover. You know, reading up about the riot lawsuits, um, a lot of employees were were interviewed when the settlement came out and reporters were asking them, you know, in 2018, riot was kind of like the first to kick off this like labor and gaming movement. They're like, you know, if you were to ask your 2018 self, like where you'd be in 2022, they're like, you know, we thought we'd be part of a union. Um, but they, you know, there wasn't the momentum around them. There wasn't the infrastructure to, you know, build a union. And, you know, a lot of the workers there are kind of, um, again, they don't know the value of their labor. So any small changes by management end up being a big win. Um, just because, you know, our society has normalized the suffering to an extent as a worker. A lot of the the people at that corporation didn't want to labor organize because they were just happy with these small changes. Um, so I think at those, that's a big hurdle to me at the larger corporations are getting the full buy-in of the workforce. And I think that Activision has shown us that that's something that can happen. Um, and, it, you know, it'll slowly happen that people will, you know, have hope for what uh, could be offered to them by management um, if they continue fighting. So, you know, I, I'm not optimistic that every gaming industry is going to have a union in 2022, but I do think uh, the gaming industry serves as a model for, you know, how to build some labor solidarity um, and, and get the ball rolling. Yeah. I think that's my largest takeaway is that solidarity has grown. Mm -hmm. It's, it is, it is revolved around that shared sense of suffering is that these are all things that we have gone through and exposure of, you know, these, of everything else that, you know, that all these companies do, you see like, oh, we're not alone in this. There are other people with similar experience. That's obviously going to increase, uh, the visibility or say visibility is always going to kind of increase a sense of solidarity of empathy amongst amongst workers that you know the way uh say labor law uh, you know keeps us now is you know tries to keep us separated and and unable to make those 
those connections. However, I, I again, we, we I think we do have to always temper this with the the realistic uh, expectation that you know these companies are obviously going to fight it tooth and nail. Say so Activ- Activision has you know likewise made uh, settlements with some of their lawsuits, like the eighteen million dollars that they settled with the the EEOC in California that actually itself is now being appealed. And that's a, that's a whole nother thing, but we're, we're now actually uh, in, by the time this episode comes out, uh, employees of a, the subsidiary co- uh, company from Activision Raven software will have been on strike for over a month at this point. Uh, you know, they are protesting the, and striking against the, what they view as the, uh, you know, unjust dismissal of 12 employees uh, or say 12 contractors, this yeah. whole thing that they're fighting for exactly. is wanting to get is get full-time status. And, you know, the, the Activision had done, they, they, again, they've been striking for almost a month at this point uh, with no word from, from corporate until just recently. Um, and that, of course, then got up a bunch of positive press and all the game journalists were like, yeah, Activision finally responds and is, you know, like looking to engage with their workers. And then I've got this thing here. Um, a uh, an Activision Blizzard uh, QA tester uh, on Twitter like uh, shared that uh, this disclosure, this PR bit that Activision released, say there was no communication with striking workers. The ABK strikers, they say, woke up to a press interview where the company said they're working with Raven QA to move forward. So the Twitter user Kate Anderson. Um, at Rebel Comic Nerd says, friends, this was the first time strikers had even gotten a response from the company, and they didn't even bother to do it directly. So, well, it's it's all it's all a smoke and mirrors game here, and we like you know always got to have our guard up. Yeah, and you know with that one in particular, it was it was not even that uh, they were just caught off guard. They were caught off guard, and the statement said that they were the Activision and, and Raven Software was engage was in the midst of engaging with those employees. So like, you know, just a bold faced lie that they were having these discussions with the QA testers and even reading through that, that statement that they made, you know, uh, talk about the, the smoke and mirrors. It, so a few things I, I want to say, the tells tale sign of a smoke and mirror is uh, we're working to bring the employees to the table, always going to be, you know, smoke and mirrors of, we're signaling that we're going to work with them, but really we we took two of the like diverse employees and added them to a working team so that they could come up with ideas that we're going to throw in the trash. But the other thing I want to point out about the issue with Raven software uh, in particular is in the statement. Um, so the Raven terminated uh, independent contractors and we always have to make the distinction between independent contractors and employees. And this is something that throughout labor and throughout the country for more than 50 years now, we've had this move from, um, you know, moving people as employees to independent contractors because it's less liability for the the company to pay the independent contractors uh, than the employees. But Activision in this press release they said that they're going to hire 500 new employees after they, you know, have terminated these Raven uh, independent contractors. Oh, they they said from the beginning that that was that was part of it. It's like, oh, in in the in the 
the pursuit of of bringing on a record number of you know say 500 new full-time employees we sadly have to let these 12 go we got to sacrifice these on the altar of the line uh in order to we can like you know so everybody else can have these benefits which nothing is seen from that yeah and and i don't think there will be because it doesn't make sense for their uh their their business model and and this is another reason i think the gaming industry highlights uh some of the the issues in labor with the raven um software in particular you have the issue of independent contractors and you know the fractured workplace being highlighted right there um as well as the issue with at will employees and independent contractors being subject to arbitration clauses. So that was an issue with Riot Games and why they had a walkout in 2019. Um, and, you know, same thing going on here with the striking workers at Raven are these arbitration clauses in, in the, the terminated independent contractors contracts. Something that I will be watching and I won't go into detail here is there is a Supreme Court case coming up um, about just that issue of arbitration clauses in uh, employee and independent contractor contracts because it is another weapon of corporations um, in order to prevent employees from kind of fighting back from their termination because the way the arbitration has uh, evolved is it's not financially available to most employees uh, to fight it and they most of the time lose because the arbitrators are you know paid by the, the corporations. So are we actually that optimistic about uh, about the state of things? I'm optimistic about the solidarity that will be gained amongst the workers. Um, I don't know if like actual, you know, gains on the board against the corporations will happen. But like our teamwork, you know, our, our building teamwork, you know, will be taking place at least in the next year. And I, I think these small gains will you know, you'll see more and more people being supportive of uh, these types of movements. And, and that's just going to be a huge win. I mean, I think it sucks that it's it's the reality that with the, the problems associated with, with labor and particularly in this industry, the steps are going to be small. Like I hate incrementalism, you yep. know, at my core, but like, I don't think there's going to be anything else. I don't, I don't think that it's going to, it's going to move any, at any, any faster, faster pace. Because again, they're, they're, they're beholden to, uh, you know, to the shareholders and the profit motive, like everybody else. So, you know, unless there's some radical shift in just the, the labor market in general, maybe we see something ensuingly dramatic, but I, I, I kind of doubt that. And the last thing I'll say and like tied into that is I think part of it is a, a education or a miseducation of, you know, uh, the value of a, of your labor and just, you know, the power that you actually hold in the market, even as it's currently set up. And I think that, you know, that process of building solidarity, a lot of it is an educational process where you, you really need to educate you know, your fellow worker um, and the workers in other industries and even you know consumers of what is going on what can be done um in in order to build that momentum and kind of catch up to you know where the neoliberal you know understanding of of businesses is and and i just also want to um quickly shout out the uh if you want to support the uh the striking uh raven qa workers uh they have a um a GoFundMe going for their strike fund. They've already raised over 
$350,000. We will post the, the link for that in the show notes when this goes up. But yeah, if you feel and are able to, uh, to contribute and help, uh, you know, aid in uh, worker solidarity in the industry, you know, we would say appreciate that. And uh, I think we will be contributing as well. And it kind of sucks, you know, it's, there's the glimmer of, you know, maybe a more hopeful future, but like how quickly we can just descend further into the muck, into the dirt. Uh, you know, our future is, is you know, looking, you know, darker every day that we press forward. And I see that no more clearly epitomized in the gaming industry than the current obsession uh, <laughs> by uh, studio executives with uh nfts non-fungible tokens and the the whole blockchain gaming thing we have uh say full disclosure and say this is where we're new to this whole podcasting thing we did some uh pre-launch recordings some kind of practice episodes where we've we've talked about the the nft craze and we have some of those some of those clips posted to youtube so be sure to go check those out uh if you want to go back and uh and, and see how this thing has unfolded but as of right now, uh, it's just like you, you feel like I've got my Google alerts set, not even just to NFTs, just to like the various gaming studios. And every single day now, I'm just getting alerts of this studio, this this group is is either actively engaging with NFTs and producing things like the whole Ubisoft Quartz thing. And I know, Rick, you've got some details for that whole shit show. <laughs> uh, but it's just like, everyone is just like, oh yeah, like it's, it's uh, if, if you were only like list, like uh, looking at these articles, you would think that like, yeah, this is the biggest craze. Everybody uh, who plays games is talking about these things. It's just, uh, you know, jonesing for them to incorporate this shit. But it's just like uh, a bubble, a feedback loop of just these guys just kind of uh, jerking each other off and just trying to, to to blow this concept up and manufacture the general consensus that this is something that people want and, and they desire. But Rick, you've got some hard hitting numbers for us. Uh, take us through. How is, how is uh, Ubisoft Quartz doing? Are people buying the digits? No, is the short answer. No one is buying digits, first off. And second, I think I think the whole blockchain idea in general has kind of had this trend, not only with like NFTs and gaming, but Bitcoin, where the only reason people want it anymore is because they think they can maybe get rich from it. Like it's it's true, like initial purpose is no longer why Bitcoin is being used. But, you know, back to uh, the more topical topic, which is the, the Quartz platform. They have uh, maybe sold $1,000 or had $1,000 worth of sales since launch, which is just under a month ago uh, at the time of recording. So no one's buying these. And um, it's almost, there's something weird here. And I, I don't know why, but it was a weird choice on Ubisoft's behalf to use this game. Ghost, Ghost Recon Breakpoint is not a new game it wasn't well received uh it wasn't critically acclaimed so to try and implement this nft within a game that no one really cares about even to begin with is is really a strange idea and then on top of that they made it so that you have to play to to have these nfts so that kind of takes out a lot of the speculators and the ability to at least 
to some extent, pump and dump these NFTs, which is what you're seeing in a lot of other places within the market where people are essentially just, you know, overvaluing things, get and selling them as soon as they can. And um, Ubisoft didn't, didn't allow for that to happen. So it's kind of an interesting idea where it's, it's, I don't know, this is conspiratorial for sure, but like, it's, it's almost like they wanted it to not be that successful so that it just takes the heat now. And that when they integrate it into a bigger game down the line, you know, some of that negative shit's already gone down and they can just kind of force feed it to us. Because let's be real, like who's going to be playing, you know, uh, Ghost Recon for a, a long enough time to make literally any, any non fungible token or cosmetic item you have worth anything once those servers shut down? Exactly. So it's yeah, I don't know. I, I part of me when after doing this research just kind of feels like uh, this was Ubisoft's loss leader. Like they're they're letting the bad press happen now, and you know, six months from now when they announce NFTs are going to be a part of all of their games going forward, it's a little less of a negative response because you know people have already gotten to groan and grumble about it. I don't think that's that crazy. I don't think that that's crazy at all because that goes into again this. This whole thing that we're seeing is that like they're just they're trying to get us used mm-hmm. to it exactly well and i think on top of that it's like um they have to jump on it early because you know this is just going to become like a brand issue like where all the the top video game brands are implementing this so you know this is ubisoft's way of being on the cutting edge while also putting it into a game that you know they don't care if it takes some heat so that when you know everyone else is finally getting into the the nft game they're already ahead of the curve they've already worked out their you know their issues and they could just hit the ground running so ubisoft has also been in the news uh recently about their announcement that they're going to be like merging their ubisoft plus kind of stream uh, cloud streaming thing with xbox in some way what do we think that that uh that means for for them what does that signal in any way is that is this good news for ubisoft is this bad like to me that strike that strikes me as like lateral move or it's like uh, to me i was like okay that means that their platform was failing on their own i mean i don't know who amongst us there's there's got to be a market for it but who amongst us would pay a specific subscription just for ubisoft games like that's a, that's a pretty narrow market to open yourself to. So they're probably just expanding to Xbox and that, you know, Microsoft probably paid a little bit of money, bring them over first, and then it'll go to PS4, uh, PS5 and Sony in like a year or two. Maybe even get to like Nintendo Switch if they do like cloud gaming or something like that to dumb the games down to play on the Switch. But it's just a it's just a market thing. Well, they're just expanding. But, but I think it's not even like the consumer market that you need to look at here. And like, you really need to look at the stock market and the shareholder value that they're trying to create. And if you're a corporation competing in the game, the video game industry now where everything is going to video game streaming, like if you don't have a streaming service, like you're not living up to like the business potential uh, and the potential shareholder value that you could create. So like you almost are forced to endeavor to do this, whether it's going to fail or not, because you can't leave any, you know, you have a fiduciary duty to not leave anything on the table. You know, you, you have to, if, if this could potentially, you know, uh, bring in more revenue than the last quarter, you're going to, you're going to do it. And again, to stay in like the, the branding mindset, 
you know, if everyone is going to streaming and that's the next big thing, just like NFTs are the next big thing, like you have to, you know, you have to do that. Your, your hand is kind of forced to stay, uh, you know, in that, that top tier of, you know, the cutting edge of the big gaming industries. Yeah. And I, but I, I think it does speak to the fact that um, their Ubisoft Plus clearly just wasn't, wasn't generating enough traffic on its own. And I, they, they probably just felt like the, the trade-off of losing those dire- that direct monetary value from those customers is probably made up for the, by the volume on Xbox and the fact that they'll still be able to generate you know, in-game purchasing and things like that. Their stock is, um, has not done well over the last year, so it will be interesting to see how this reflects uh, on their, their trading price. Right now, they're essentially at their 52-week low. Which is about are they, uh, they're at about nine dollars a share. Um, so they were trading at a high of around twenty uh, near the beginning of twenty twenty one. It'll be interesting to see, you know, how the market responds to a their clear headfirst dive into the NFT blockchain world, and also you know this partnership with Microsoft. Well, I think it's clear that the market doesn't know what the fuck they want. Because you see, yeah, Ubisoft is down. One of the most recent uh, companies to uh, stir up the shit with their, you know, dipping their toes into NFTs is Square Enix. You know, with the now infamous uh, New Year's letter uh, released by the Square Enix president uh, Yasuki Matsuda. We'll, we'll get to the letter in just in, in just a second. There are a few bits I want to read out, but like like every other company that's announced this shit immediately met with intense backlash by the fans and by communities. Um, yet square saw, uh, an 8% bump in their stock after the announcement, it was like their highest, their highest trading point since August, you know, was directly tied to, to this announcement, which is just, again, mind boggling to me. It's just proof that again, that nobody knows what the fuck, this stuff is is doing and knows what like what it's worth and where it's going to go i mean the the truth is it's worth nothing and it's just people putting their own prices on uh, price tags on things but whatever well to me i've been you know mulling this over it's it's the ultimate game of soggy bagel like who who is the last to come on the bagel has to eat it and that's what's going to be with nfts it's like who's left holding the bag cookie cookie yeah like who who's left holding the bag at the end is is going to be the loser because it's you know like we said it's just a you know the same five dudes jerking each other off you know uh with these speculative investments it's probably a reason why uh the ubisoft one or yeah the ubisoft one will fail at first is because there is not going to be any speculators in it or at least you know on their face they're not going to be speculators they're going to have to do some workarounds if they want to do that like play the game um but like that's why it'll fail because right now it is is just all speculation so you know i the more and more i think about it it is i think this is just ubisoft's way of sliding us into nfts and getting used to them just like we got used to loot boxes and microtransactions. They are going to exist there. They may fail, but they're just going to keep failing upwards until we are all the one eating the soggy bagel because 
every game now has NFTs in it and is, you know, just ridiculous. Just unplayable. Yeah. Just like, let's not forget that, that all these proposed games just sound like they fucking suck. Yeah, we're all just going to be playing Axie Infinity. Well, and, and but to your point, Mike, I mean, cap capital markets are the soggy bagel game. It's about it's about uh, you know selling high. So glad I came up with this. selling high and and buying low. You you wanna you wanna finish first before you know that's a soggy bagel. It's the same. <laughs> it's the same concept. It's a great analogy, and you know it's 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 essentially turning parts of these games into a a way to turn it into a capital market that can be exploited yep. and, and monetized. And, and that's what they're going to do. And I think that's why you see these announcements resulting in, you know, an immediate stock price jump because what people see is potential for additional cash flow. And, and that's, you know, what drives a stock price by a, a decent amount is, you know, what are future expected cash flows? So if you make an announcement that is going to, you know, easily open the door to additional cash, uh, it's going to immediately drive your stock price up at least, you know, even for a day until people look more into what you've said. But just even that initial excitement and being like, hey, there's a new opportunity for us to make cash that's essentially cost nothing. Uh, yeah. Investors are going to like that shit. Because it just becomes like the poor man's stock market. Yep. Where, like you're just putting all this money into the game, thinking that it's going to hold some value that you'll be able to sell it later on. And in the end, it's just the corporations, you know, adding another cash flow into their spreadsheet. And I think you, you're getting onto something critical. It's like it's again asking who these are for and with these announcements. And I, I just want to like first read the, this just the opening paragraph of the Square Enix letter. Um, it starts, the metaverse was a hot topic in 2021, inspiring a lively global conversation, first about the meta, what about what the metaverse is, and then about what sort of business opportunities it presents. It presents, geez, I am, I am just an expert reader today. Um, against this backdrop, Facebook, God damn. <laughs> Facebook? Um, <laughs> All right, all right. The, so, the uh, reader we're, rabbit we're you did was not a very good, yeah. uh, you got the black market version. That was caught. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> So again, against this backdrop, Facebook changed its name in October to Meta, serving as evidence that the concept is not a mere buzzword, but here to set, here to stay. The metaverse garnered so much attention that 2021 was dubbed the metaverse year. And it's like, says who? Yeah. Says who, man? It's like the fact that they that that they think that that's what everybody was talking about. Again, proves why they're doing this because it's the only the only people in their orbit are are the ones talking about this it's just the guys in their ears the guys in the in the executive c-suite they're the only ones that are talking about this that think that this is a big deal that think that this is the 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 way games are are going and it has trickled down into the you know you're hearing from the actual uh developers themselves like there's some quotes here from like from actual square uh, programmers, it's they say like it will be interesting to see how new technologies such as NFT and metaverse will be involved in the game world! Exclamation point. NFT digital assets. There are many issues such as legislation, and I think there are still many growing pains in 2022. But it seems that interesting 
interesting game ideas will be born. It seems that new values will be born into the world in three or four years. I'm curious about NFT-related content and games. I think that new play is from new technologies, so now I want to do something with NFTs. And it's just like, oh, my God. It's just like a, you know this, this continual uh, uh, chamber of recirculation that's just uh, churning out the same crap over and over again. It's just like one person posts something, and then the next person takes that as, okay, that means that everybody must want want this and it's building and building and building and they're just trying to get us to uh buy the lie to to accept that that is uh that other people must be talking about it so man i feel sure feel like an idiot that i'm not paying attention to it so i gotta now look look into this and and post about it and do it i mean look they got us to do it well and you know reading that square enix thing and and think now thinking about it more with what you had just said it it read to me as a shareholder letter you know like the annual Mm -hmm. shareholder like statutory letter that they need to send out uh each year like updating what the company's doing and things like that but i do think you know and it should have only gone out to the shareholders this should have not been like a public thing to everyone some some executive assistant like sent to the wrong mailing list yeah, that's what it seems. But the more and more I think about this, I, the idea of the manufactured consent within it, I think that it, it is more purposeful of like, you know, a purposeful slip, like getting people to think that, you know, the, even the developers think that this is you know the next big thing. And some of those developers probably do because they pro- they want to get in on the soggy bagel action. You know, they want to get an NFT as well because they think that they could get rich. And, you know, it's probably not not going to be true but the consumer this isn't something that the consumer wants it's just all around the capital holders that um are are the one you know that includes the shareholders um that are going to be the ones that want this to happen um and, and like i said i the more and more i think you know i originally i thought like why are they sending the shareholder uh message out but the more and more i think of this like idea of manufactured consent within you know the the gaming executives and just like once you become a c-suite executive you don't have to cite a source whatever you say is the written word uh praise be to god and so you know you could put something out there and then get everyone to believe it and i bet you there's some you know elon stan style rubes that are super excited about nfts and gaming and now are going to go buy all square enix's games you know because they're going to have a chance to buy uh you know, Star Lords, uh, you know, a, a one of a kind Star Lord fucking get up in Guardians of the Galaxy or some shit like that. So I, I find the whole square thing really funny. And there's a tw- Twitter user, uh, Sam Thorne, uh, posted this great meme that like really just kind of uh, exemplifies the irony of Square Enix and also kind of serves as a transition into our, our next uh, in our, our final topic for today. Um, but just like how Square Enix, you know, is being like so enthusiastic about NFTs, yet then, you know, looking back at, you know, Final Fantasy 14, like has, you know, 20K long queue lines and they have to like delist the sales of the game uh, because of hardware shortages caused by, you guessed it, uh, crypto miners, uh, you know, buying up all GPUs and stuff to to verify all their NFTs. So it's just like, shooting your i forget the expression but like shooting your foot despite your face type of thing like 
it's uh, just cutting your nose to spite yeah. your face. Yeah, whatever. That's it. Uh, it's just like fucking so stupid and so ridiculous. But there was uh, another good article um, that uh, that I think as a, another retrospective on the end year that you know it ties this in that you know the, this obsession with crypto uh, is you know directly tied into the into the gaming industry and is resulting in. Uh, the death of the budget PC. Um, we are thanks to these, you know, these industrious entrepreneurs <laughs> who are, you know, uh, burning a country's worth of electricity to verify that somebody's axie belongs to them or that they're uh, that they're bored. My, ape, my monkey uh, picture looks like I own it. Yeah, that like they're that they're JPEG, like to, to verify their seat for their JPEG. Um, and you know it's keeping people from getting into the hobby and it's this the the article in pc gamer was really interesting and i think of note for us here on the show it's like pc gaming is part is probably one of the most inclusive parts of the video game hobby it allows people to in the past that is it had allowed people access to these games at uh you know surprisingly powerful performance rates that you know are inaccessible to people who you know say can't afford a console or like you can get even higher power than you could on a a console but like just that's not a thing anymore and that just ties into the recent news of there have been these uh there are the recent presentations by both nvidia and amd uh, about these new cards but so matt i gotta ask you as our as our resident tech expert you know Got to give us the cold, hard truth. Um, is the hardware crisis, you know, here to stay? Do we have any reason for optimism here? Are, can our 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 budget gamers going to be able to get their hands on these new cards? So, two things: is the crisis here to stay? I don't think the crisis is here to stay forever. I do think we're definitely going to feel this all of 2022, and 2023 will probably start to feel the end effects of it. I think that's when we'll start to see the downswing. You know of all of this hoarding and whatnot that's been going on. Uh, We've got AMD releasing the 6500 XT, which is a $200 range card, uh, you know, really targeting that budget minded gamer that, you know, there's no real purpose in that for that card in mining. Anyone who's buying that card to mine with is not mining, you know, properly that anyone buying that card is specifically buying that card to either game on it for a budget or to sell it um overpriced like right now you know you can buy a 3070 for a thousand dollars on ebay even though it's a 500 hundred dollar card secondary you get nvidia who showed off their 3050 which is a 250 dollar card um the 3050 the 50 series card has always been their um very lower end discrete graphics uh in the past hasn't really been capable of much gaming uh with the newer uh newer hardware it's a little bit better. Uh, there's hope to see that this new hundred, new, new two hundred and fifty dollar card can keep up and be a good entry point for people. Uh, you get I- Intel pushed off their GPUs again, uh, so I'm not even going to speculate on them. We've n- haven't seen much of anything about it uh, until they release something. I'm not going to talk about them, but I think this crisis is one of those things. Like as far as I can remember, as building computers go and like looking at computer components. Like it's only gotten worse. And it's because when I started looking at it is when GPU mining really started to uptick and everyone started to go for the Bitcoins and the altcoins and whatever 
fun little uh, crypto fix they were going to scratch themselves with. It's only uh, like it starts, you know, like the GPU shortage that we've experienced, you know, the chip shortage. But, you know, things you don't pay attention to are like power supplies. Uh, you couldn't get your hands on thousand watt power supplies forever because all the the mining setups took all the thousand watt power supplies to power their fucking bank of 3090s that they've got on the wall sitting on a piece of two by four. They're, the, some of their setups are insane. And they can warm a fucking house. They can yeah. warm a whole block if they, they start to target some of that heat. So I hope they all burn to the ground yeah. in the game, of course. What's the what's the joke? Uh, if you saw it was like a picture of a house with the, the roof all melted in one sp- uh, particular spot. And it's like in 2005, they'd think they're growing Burn weed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 2020, you know, they're uh, mining crypto. Yeah. yeah. What's, uh, what's like state official did that burn down? Uh, it was Matt state Gates's, property. No, it was Matt Gates's. Uh, all right. Like his, like uh, one of his consigliere kind of. Yeah. yeah. Uh, burned down state property with a yeah, crypto mining. He, he might have been like hilarious. the treasurer of of like I think it was a, a municipality or something and yet yeah, he hysteric yeah, yeah was but I just want to know also. what documents they were burning that is that up. is Chad behavior. <laughs> yeah he had a, a crypto closet like within the, the city's building and it just burnt to the ground. Hilarious. Yeah. But yeah, there's there's hope on the horizon that maybe these budget-minded cards will be able to get into more hands. AMD did say in their presentation that they shipped more GPUs in the second half of last year than they did in the first half. So there's hope that they can try to get this uh, supply chain moving a little bit more, get a uh, you know get the market filled a little bit, so that these scalpers don't have as much to uh, you know bite off. I know that the uh, Xbox and PlayStation Five both after the holiday buzz. I've seen a huge downturn on their um, uh, StockX and eBay prices. I know you could find a Series X at one point for only like 580 bucks, which is almost MSRP at that point. Like if I didn't have a PS5 and I saw a PS5 for $580, that's like almost the sweet spot of I'd buy that and like deal with it. Yeah. No, I think um, I think I I agree with you that there's some optimism. My My only fear is that these uh these card manufacturers are seeing the current like market values and prices and and just gonna say well fuck it people are paying it and never bring them down lower or you know just raise them up more than they would have um hey, yeah in what a, what incentive do without they have this exactly they, they don't they they're incentivized to raise the prices at this point. So like, that's my, yeah, fear. they're going to sell the same number of cards regardless. So why not sell the more expensive ones? It also kind of feeds into the whole idea of um, like Google Stadia and all of these, like we talked about game streaming in one sense, but this is the, the game streaming where you don't even have hardware and you're playing off someone's server and you're uh, playing through an internet connection off like a Chromecast plugged into your TV or something like that. That's another layer of budget-minded gaming, per se. If you can take a $200 Chromebook and play uh, streaming games through a web portal, for example, like that's that's another way to introduce gaming into the lower-tier markets, and that's something that's... I mean, Google took their swing at it. I think they were ready to abandon it. Uh, they do that a lot. But uh, GeForce Now with NVIDIA is another really interesting service. Uh, if you sign up for that, you get, you know, a range of games that are available with it. And then it'll check your Steam library and any game that can support it 
will also get ported over to your uh like if you own like the witcher 3 and geforce now doesn't have witcher 3 in its regular subscription it'll bring it over and let you play it because you own it so it's an interesting concept GeForce Now sounds like a uh, a Power Rangers spinoff. Power Absolutely, GeForce G- G- Now. now. <laughs> Isn't GeForce the like, hamsters that had superpowers? Isn't that wasn't that the name of that movie? Ooh, that was GeForce. Yep. Yeah, that's that's deep pull. Yeah, Rick. To your point, I if I was understanding you correctly, saying like and Ben as well that they're just gonna like continue jacking up the prices of the GPU and they're not incentivized to make one for the budget pc player um i i I think that that's kind of against their business interests and you know because you have so many people that aren't that want to buy a gpu to game and are buying it uh an older one on the black market which you know nvidia is missing out on that or amd is missing out on that so you know they're always going to have the the miners and like the hardcore gamers that are fighting for their 30 series or whatever is the highest, but there will all, you know, always be. And it, it seems with the streaming gaming is another route that they're trying to, you know, be able to continue to capture that audience. Like it, it would be interesting to me if they can, you know, like AMD is doing continue to create, uh gpus that aren't capable of mining that are solely targeted towards you know uh, an intro gamer or you know young gamers uh and then continue to just pump out their their you know highest series and not care who gets them because they're already hitting that market whether through the you know uh going the streaming route or going through you know a, a dedicated you know gaming you know lower end but gaming style uh non-mining capable uh gpu i think what the pc gamer article though was getting at is that with a ever uh dwindling source of the actual physical elements and resources required for making these chips that they're going to have to make the decision of where do you put them into the higher level chips that they can or cards that they can make more money off of or the lower level ones so the longer the the drought lasts uh the more they're going to be incentivized to solely have them in the most expensive cards that yeah will then keep going to the the crypto miners that will then just keep perpetuating the problem so i have little faith you can kind of see that with how nvidia structured their conference and the things they focused on like of course they talked about you know the 3090 ti the new king of their lineup you know the top tier card that the miners will drool over and you know that's a card that you know you and I will never touch. We'll never see. That's might as well not be real. Um, but then they you know discussed like the thirty fifty. You know a new lower tier that you know the average person might actually have a chance to get. But the real focus they wanted to talk about were their new laptop lines, uh, the new laptop GPUs, the thirty eighty Ti and the thirty seventy Ti, and that's another. Those actually do look kind of cool. Like the the entry point you can get to mm-hmm. with gaming laptops now. Yeah, those do look kind of cool. From what I, from my very layman's approach to the technical side of things, they looked kind of interesting to me. As someone who will I know be in the market for a a new laptop in the 
next year or two. If we wanted to be truly uh, entrepreneurial, we'd go over to China where all of our e-waste goes and just like start rifling through for some cobalt and uh, make some GPUs of our own. <laughs> uh, no, we'll just... Uh, You're sounding like my CEO. We'll just mine a, an asteroid that comes by, you know. Just invent a new uh, element. All right, guys, I think this was a good episode. Um, normally, I think we, we may try our hand with some uh, some little kind of short ending segments, but uh, with our all the stuff we had to get through at the at the, at the yeah. front end o- of the opening show, episode stuff, I, I think we kind of probably are, are going to run a little bit long anyways. So I think now is a, a good place to wrap it up. Uh, but before we go, we've got some some plugs we got to get through. Um, if you like, uh, if you like the show and what we're doing here, um, come join us on Twitch. We stream games and commentary every week. Uh, you can follow us at campaign underscore comrades. Uh, the best way to, uh, find out when we're going live is to also follow us on Twitter at campcom pod. Uh, we, you know, push out notifications every time any, anybody's going live. And so the plan is we're doing independent streams, group streams seeing how how it goes and you know the more success we can we can garner the more people we can bring into the community then the more we hope to be able to do um however if you guys can't catch uh streams and stuff like that uh we post the best clips on our youtube page also you know under campaign comrades uh anything else that uh you guys uh have of your own that you'd like to plug just follow us all on twitter except matt because he doesn't have one good uh Follow me at Cut the Mic. Yeah, you can find me online most places at uh, BennyBox427. You can find me at What's Your Angle. You can try your best to find me on Reddit. <laughs> Matt has the most yeah. Reddit karma of all of us. He's, he's the internet, the internet sleuths are going to find you. The Reddit sickos are going to take that as a challenge, <laughs> and they're going to find you. All right, gang. Till next time. Bye. Adios. Bye bye. Bye.